You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now bring you pro-life activism from creation to death with Jim Sedlak. Welcome to pro-life activism from creation to death. This is the program intended for all those involved in the struggle to build a culture of life in the United States. Uh, this week, we're going to bring you up to date on a number of happenings and, and also spend a little bit of time telling you what's going on in a place called Walnut Creek, California. And we'll get to that very soon. But before we do, we want to begin our program the way we always begin our program. And that is by asking a, you to say a Hail Mary together with me to ask the Blessed Mother to shower God's graces on all involved in today's program so that our discussion will lead us to the message that she wants each of us to get at this moment. And so if you would join me, please. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you so much for saying that prayer with me. It is always a good idea whenever you start a new activity during the day to call on the assistance of the Blessed Mother. You know, we have a lot of things going on in our in our country these days. A lot of top level things. We have the uh, the hearings for the nominee to the United States Supreme Court, one Amy Coney Barrett. And we'll talk about those hearings and, and some of the stuff we've learned from those hearings um, in, later on in the show. We also, of course, have a presidential election going on, and we will be talking about that and uh, and some things that, that, you know, as we're here today, we're 18 days before the official election day. Lots of things happening, lots of things winding down and others just percolating to the top, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But I want to start out today with a different story, and it involves a city in California. It's called Walnut Creek, California. Walnut Creek, if you're not familiar with it, and most of my readers, listeners probably are not, is a city in California east of San Francisco. So it's about the same uh, level is San Francisco, but it's it's uh, east of it. Uh, so so that's the area of California that we're talking about. And, you know, in, in this year, 2020, we have come to expect protests and violence uh, all over the United States, especially on the West Coast, where um, riots and looting and worse are taking place. Uh, in Oregon and in the state of Washington and, and somewhat in California, statues being torn down, all of this kind of, of real violence. I wanted to say nonsense, but it's 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 nonsense only if you're not there and, and being a victim of it. Then it's a lot more than nonsense. But all of this is going on. And in the midst of all of this, the group called the 40 Days for Life is conducting its semi-annual peaceful presence outside of abortion facilities, both here in the United States and worldwide. And this year they have some 588 locations, not only here, but but around the world. 
And the purpose of 40 Days for Life is very simple. It is to bring prayer and information to abortion-minded women as they approach abortion facilities. Also to educate the local community about what abortion is and going on. And they distribute pamphlets and have people going door-to-door, a little less this year than in previous years. And they also have a lot of prayer. The basis of 40 Days for Life is rooted in prayer. And the 40 Days for Life has been going on since September, and it will conclude on Sunday, the 1st of November, just two days before the election. And one of the sites that has had a 40 Days for Life several times over the past years and and is having it there again is the Planned Parenthood facility in Walnut Creek, California. And the pro-lifers have been out there and, you know, doing what they do. Now, please understand that if you join 40 Days for Life and if you're going to participate in a 40 Days for Life event, you have to pledge, you sign a pledge of nonviolence. All right. 40 Days for Life does not condone violence in any way, in any respect. And they even have all the people who are joining them to sign a document that says they will be nonviolent. Now, what has happened out in Walnut Creek, California, over the past few weeks is that agitators... Right. And, and we don't know. It's not known what specific group their tact that they represent. Their tactics are compared to uh, the, the Antifa um, people and the kind of tactics that they use. Um, we do not. There's no evidence that that they were arranged by Planned Parenthood or that Planned Parenthood has anything to do with them, at least not at this point in the discussion. But but the these agitators who come and show up at the Planned Parenthood abortion facility in Walnut Creek, um, have targeted all of the peaceful pro-lifers with intense harassment. Now, some of what I'm going to be talking to you about is, is documented in videos. And, of course, I can't show you a video on the radio. But if you want to go to the 40 Days for Life website, and it's simply 40, the, the number 40, 40, 40daysforlife.com, You will find discussions of Walnut Creek and you will find some videos that were taken there. Uh, But I can tell you what is happening from a description that was sent to us here at American Life League by one of the participants of the 40 Days for Life effort there. And this is what she wrote to us. It's it's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to read it in its entirety because I, I want you to get the understanding of what's going on out there in California. And the, the, the person wrote, now I'm being trying to be very careful here. I am not using the name of the person, although we know who the person is. Right? I'm not probably, unless I slip, or not even going to reveal the sex of the person um, because, because of the harassment and because of, of what she wrote. Ah, there you go. I already gave it away. It's a she. Um, but but because of, of what, what has been written to us, and the person wrote, quote, we are taunted, mocked, and harassed almost daily 
while we pray peacefully in front of our local abortion facility and offer free resources and support to women. Our pictures are being taken, posted on Antifa-like websites in our area, asking people to try and identify us so that we can be harassed at home and work. We are literally on the front lines out here on the sidewalk. Please pray for us. Never in my four to five years of doing this has the climate against us been so hateful. It is to the point where we do not feel safe. Yet, we will continue on knowing we are doing Christ's work in promoting and praying for life. End quote. This gives you some idea of, the, of what's going on in Walnut Creek. A picture is being tasted, po- taken, posted on the Internet with a plea for people to say, identify these people, tell us who they are, right? And, and of course, the, the, the pro-lifers out there who are simply out there praying for the babies, praying for the mothers who are going into the facilities, praying even for the clinic workers and for the abortionists. This is what they do out there. It, it is all prayer. It is all petitions to heaven to please stop this from going on. And yet this is the atmosphere in which this year they are operating. And it's scary. And I, I've talked to people who've done this not only here in, in, in Walnut Creek, but in other places where they've experienced some degree of harassment, nothing to the extent that is going on here. So what's happened is all of this is going on. And, and as I said, if, if you go to the 40daysforlife.com website, there's some uh, cell phone videos of the kind of harassment that is going on. The, the pro-lifers went to the local police in Walnut Creek and said, Come protect us, okay? We're doing peaceful, legal activity out there, and we're being harassed, and we're being threatened. Come and help us. And they have received no support from the police department in Walnut Creek. Why, I can't tell you, and and we all know the attack that the police forces are under. But they haven't received no support there, and when when the... uh, the 40 Days for Life National Headquarters, which is in Texas and runs, you know, oversees all of these 40 Days for Life activities. You know, when they realized that there was not going to be any protection and that, as the person who wrote us says, they do not feel safe out there. 40 Days for Life engaged a security company to provide security for the pro-lifers. Now, the security company that they chose happened to be one of the biggest security companies in the country. And the name of the security company is Off-Duty Officers. Okay? So these are, are, are policemen or, and women. Right? These are police officers who, when they're off-duty from their job, can be hired to provide protection for various events. And I will tell you that, oh, 30 years ago, back in 1990, when we were holding a national conference uh, against Planned Parenthood in a city called Poughkeepsie, New York, 
and there was threat from the other side of violence against the conference, we in fact hired local off-duty police officers to provide security for our conference. And the, the police officers positioned themselves outside the conference and in fact were able to, to stop the pro-abort people from storming our conference and were immediately able to call local backup from the on-duty police officers to calm the situation very quickly. So the hiring off-duty police officers to provide security is something that has been done by pro-life groups around the country for decades. And so there's nothing unusual about doing that. And so the, the 40 Days for Life people uh, contracted with off-duty officers, the security firm, uh, to protect the peaceful pro-lifers in front of the Planned Parenthood killing centers. Now, earlier this week, the agitators started agitating the security, started agitating the off-duty officers and getting in their face. And it got to a point where at least one officer, we I, I've not seen a report on, on how many were involved, but at least one officer felt threatened enough to use mace to get the agitator to back off. Well, this hit the news media, and you may be reading. And one of the reasons we're covering this today is because the news media has been making a big deal of this and is getting it all wrong. The news media has reported that there was a major clash between the outside agitators and the 40 Days for Life participants and they began fighting each other and pepper spray or mace was used to break them apart well that's not what happened absolutely not what happened and the the uh, the head of of the um 40 days for life a gentleman named sean carney who i know very well he is the president and ceo for 40 days for life and, and he issued a statement on this, which I will read to you so that you, you get the facts from the people involved. He said, quote, when activists using Antifa style tactics who previously physically threatened and blew marijuana in our volunteers faces arrived and antagonized the off duty officers, the professional guards took protective action, including mace against the hostile individuals. Contrary to a video that captured parts of the occurrence and has since been widely circulated on social media, 40 Days for Life volunteers had no part in the incident. Rather, the tactics were used solely at the discretion of the third-party security team. Okay? So if you're hearing things about this riot or disturbance or however the news media in your area is portraying it in Walnut Creek, California, about pro-lifers and, and uh, uh, pro-abortion agitators fighting it out. It's not true. It is a, a security team hired by 40 Days for Life to maintain a peaceful attitude out there who were forced into taking action against the pro-abortion agitators who were there and the pro-life people the pro-life volunteers were not involved and i think based on the the email that i read you earlier were very happy that there were people there who would protect them and that's what happened
So I want to I want to just make sure that everybody knows the truth about what's going on there, because, you know, I've, I've seen it on, on many broadcasts, national broadcasts around the country, and they're 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 all spewing the same line. And now, you know, as, as Paul Harvey would have said, now, you know, the rest of the story. Right. That's what's going on. So I applaud the efforts of 40 Days for Life team in, in recognizing the seriousness of the situation in Walnut Creek and taking the necessary steps to protect the peaceful pro-lifers who are there to pray for the mothers, the fathers, the babies and all involved in the abortions. We commend especially the pro-lifers who, despite the situation, made sure to let us know that although they do not feel safe yet they said they will continue on knowing that they are doing christ's work in promoting and praying for life right? pro-lifers are not violent people and no one should should think they are but we will protect ourselves if someone else wants to create violence while we were at abortion facilities trying to to help women and convince them with our help that they do not need to kill their babies. So I hope that brings everything in perspective. Uh, I want to just mention to to people who are um, just tuning in that my name is Jim Sedlak. You're listening to Pro-Life Activism from Creation to Death on RadioMaria.us, a Christian voice in your home. I also want to uh, to remind everybody, we, we reminded folks last week, but we want to do it uh, again here this week, um, that you are all invited to the Radio Maria Fall Mariathon, which is our f- fundraising effort, which will begin this coming Monday, October the 19th, and run through Saturday, October the 24th. Radio Maria is is a radio station that or a radio network with 12 individual stations, physical stations here in the United States. At the beginning of my program, they always give you a whole list of where they are and and the call signs uh, that they're on and the frequencies that they broadcast on. Uh, We also broadcast over the Internet live stream and many of you are listening to me that way. You can actually call in and listen over the phone to the shows that are on. Uh, But to maintain all of this, we need your help and generosity. So please save the dates next week, starting on Monday, ending on Saturday, and consider donating to, to fulfill Our Lady's dream and to help Radio Maria continue our operations. Uh, for those of you who may be new to Radio Maria, understand that, that the hosts of the show, people like me, do this as a volunteer effort. We do not get paid. Your, your, your donations do not pay me or, or the, the other uh, volunteer hosts that you hear on, on this radio station. It, it goes for operational expenses and sometimes to open new facilities in new cities where there is enough support to do that. So we invite you to, to, to tune in next week, all week long, and to make your donations to Radio Maria. Okay. 
We want to move now to 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 another uh, different uh, topic for this week, but one that's important. And we want to talk about the Supreme Court nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, if you're active in the pro-life community, uh, you've certainly heard about this. This week that just passed was the week when when the Judge Barrett she is she is currently a judge in the uh, in the Fourth Circuit Court, and so so rightfully has the title Judge Barrett. Uh, if and when she gets. Uh, Approved to be on the Supreme Court, it will change to Justice Barrett, but right now it's Judge Barrett. If you've listened to any of the hearings, you, you have to be impressed by Judge Barrett. I mean, she, she is everything that the other side say they want and more, except they don't like her ideology. She, although she has a personal ideology... When she goes to the courtroom and she is deciding a case, what counts is the law. And when she is on the Supreme Court, what will count is the Constitution. She describes herself as an originalist. She describes herself as one who believes that words have meanings and that her job on the Supreme Court will be to read, to understand the case to read the Constitution, to use the meaning of the words in the Constitution as they existed at the time that the Constitution was written, and to apply those words to the case. She actually, in, in answer to one of her questions, gave um, a lot of us an insight as to how judges work, especially judges at appeals courts and the Supreme Court, how they work and how they come to decisions. And, and it's, it's just a few sentences, but I, I, I would like to, to uh, repeat them to you because um, sometimes, you know, we, we don't know exactly how the judges come up with their decisions. And she gave an explanation that I think is, is truly uh, enlightening. And here's what she said in answer to, uh, to, to one of the questions that she was given on how uh, she, as a Supreme Court justice, as well as other just justices, um, make decisions. And she said making decisions is a process. And the process begins when you hear arguments from litigants on both sides. So you get both sides and the important factors that each of them want to make. And then people write briefs. The litigants write briefs. They also get... Uh, amicus briefs from friends of the court who make points that maybe the litigants haven't made, right? And you talk to clerks as a judge, you talk to your colleagues, then you write an opinion, opinions circulate among the judges and you get feedback from your colleagues. So it's an entire process. It's not something that a judge or justice would wake up and say, oh, we're hearing this case. I know what my vote is going to be. That's the end of her statement. So what she's describing is a process in which what they're looking at is the facts that are presented by both sides in whatever the case is and by outside forces uh, who want to make additional points and, and, you know, 
can document why those points are important in this particular case. We, we always hear things like Judge Barrett clerked for Antonin Scalia, which is true. Uh, but you wonder, what does the clerk do? Well, as she described, one of the things that Supreme Court clerks do is they discuss cases with the judges. Now, all the clerks are law school graduates. Right? They're all lawyers. Right? They, they, you, don't, you don't have somebody off the street who gets a job as a clerk. You have to apply for the job. And, 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 and in general, only the brightest and most articulate get chosen for those jobs because they have to be able to hold their own in discussions with Supreme Court justices. And so they do that. And she talks to the clerk. She gets feedback. Then, then they don't just sit in their office, write a opinion, and say, "Okay, that's it." They say, "No, we're going to send this around to other Supreme Court justices, the other, you know, eight people, and we're going to get feedback from them, and they're going to point us out. Hey, this is a good argument here. You know, I think you missed the point on this one. Whatever." And they will have this discussion before they all get together, and then finally decide how they're going to vote. And this is what we're looking at here. So, so Amy, Amy Coney Barrett, Judge Barrett, uh, performed excellent this week. Uh, there were many, many attempts by senators to get her to commit on how she would vote on certain cases. And every time they tried to do that, she would say, I cannot tell you how I will vote on any future case I can discuss decisions I have already rendered in previous cases, if you want to talk about that. But any hypothetical case will depend on the facts, will depend on the arguments, will depend on the Constitution and how it applies to those certain facts. In other words, she has said that she wants to be the kind of Supreme Court justice that we always want, one who applies the law and doesn't make it up, or doesn't bend it to fit her own personal beliefs. Now, when I say Amy is the kind of justice that the other side, you know, should be glorifying in, well, you know, Amy is a mother. She and her husband are raising seven children, all under the age of 20. Two of her children are adopted from Haiti. Her youngest child has a handicapped um, she, the child has Down syndrome. So she is raising this, this, this family. Uh, all reports are that she is very active in the children's schools, uh, does a lot of volunteer work there in addition to her current work as a judge. A career woman, a lawyer who became a judge, who became a circuit court judge and now may become a Supreme Court justice, a career woman with a family in a good relationship with all of her family and her husband, you would think that the people from Ms. Magazine and all of this would be trumpeting this woman as well. You know, this is what we said women can be. But because she is conservative and because she is Catholic, they are attacking her. They are attacking her Catholic faith. They're trying to say that she is unfit to be a justice of the Supreme Court because she is a Catholic. 
Now, the, the Constitution of the United States specifically says that in the United States of America, there will be no religious test for any public office. So those who are who are attacking her Catholicism are actually violating the Constitution. Do they care about it? Probably not, because they want what they want. But this is where the, the, the antipathy is, is coming from. The other part of where it's coming from is because the other side knows that abortion is not protected by the Constitution in any way, shape, or form. The only way that the justices in 1973, in the decisions that decriminalized abortion in the United States, they, the only way they could do that is to go back to 1967 in, the, in what was called the Griswold decision, which legalized contraception in the United States. And the Griswold decisions found in the emanations of the penumbra of the Constitution a right to sexual privacy. And that right to sexual privacy is, is a major part of what was used to justify the Roe v. Wade decision and the accompanying Doe v. Bolton decision. The emanations of the penumbra of the Constitution, right? They could find no right in the Constitution, so emanating from it, somehow somehow lifting off the page and radiating like, like your, your heater radiates heat in your, in your house, emanating from the penumbra. Now, penumbra means shadows. So from the shadows of the rays of the Constitution, they found this right to sexual privacy, which then was used to decriminalize abortion. And by the way, it was also used later on to decriminalize sodomy in the United States. Right? These folks are scared of that because if they actually get Supreme Court justices that actually use the Constitution, they know that abortion can't stand. It just can't. And so that's what they're scared about. So what is happening with the with the uh, nomination right now, which is Amy uh, or Judge Barrett has has concluded her interviews by members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee will vote next Thursday on her nomination. Uh, they're voting whether or not to send it to the full Senate. There are 12 Republicans and 10 Democrats on the committee. So unless something unusual happens, it's expected it will pass. Now, the reason it's next Thursday is because they introduced a, 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 a motion to, to have it yesterday, to vote yesterday. And the, the Democrats uh, insisted that it be put off for a week, which is actually within the rules. And so it's been put off for a week. And so it will uh, be voted on next Thursday. It's expected that they will pass and send it to the Senate. And the the leader of the Republicans in the Senate, because they have the majority, has said that, that it will be introduced in the Senate the very next day, which would be a week from today, and that a vote will occur as quickly as possible after that, and that vote being of the full Senate. And if she is confirmed by a majority of the Senate, that's all it takes, then she will become the next Supreme Court justice. So we're, we're in the final steps of this. So, you know, pray for what's going on. Pray for, for uh, the whole process and pray that that America will, in fact, have a Supreme Court justice of the quality of Amy Coney Barrett.
Okay. Uh, in addition to the, the Supreme Court nomination, we, of course, have an election going on. Okay. What an election. It is absolutely crazy out there. Uh, all kinds of predictions, all kinds of things going on. You know, this person is ahead. That person is ahead. Uh, you don't know what to believe. You just have to determine who you're going to vote for and then vote for that person. And, of course, although we can't tell you, you know, go vote for this person or that person, we can tell you to vote pro-life. In some elections, that's that's very um, hard to discern because both sides will claim that they're pro-life and, and, and uh, you know, it, it will be difficult to determine who. Um, but in this case, in this election, it's not difficult at all. The candidates themselves are making it perfectly clear whether they support abortion or whether they are pro-life. All you have to do is, is get any statements from either of the candidates, uh, of the major candidates, the Democrat candidate or the Republican candidate, and you can determine within 30 seconds which one is pro-life and which one is pro-abortion. And we encourage you to vote pro-life all the way up and down the ticket. And as we've said several times on this show, the presidency is, of course, very important. But, you know, just as important is the Senate and the House of Representatives. Currently, the the uh, pro-life, there's a pro-life majority in the Senate by just uh, about a single vote. Uh, and currently, there's a pro-abortion majority in the House of Representatives. All of the members of the House of Representatives are up for re-election. One-third of the Senate is up for re-election. So it is possible that the position on abortion of both of those bodies may be changed by this election. And so in addition to selecting the president that is pro-life, we encourage you to, to select the senators and the members of the House that you are voting for. Find out where they stand on abortion and vote pro-life in that instance also. As we go through the, the, uh, the presidential election right now, um, we, we noticed some similarity to an election that probably many of you were not around for or were not paying attention to. It's, it's, it's the 1992 presidential election, uh, which took place between Bill Clinton, uh, George Bush and Ross Perot. There were actually uh, Clinton and Bush were the two major party candidates. But Ross Perot uh, ran a, a battle which got him millions of votes and took votes away from uh, primarily Bush. Right? And and so th that election, now the, the, the background, very quickly, I'm not going to bore you with a lot of details, but the background of that is that the, uh, the, the Supreme Court uh, decriminalized abortion in 1973. And so it was not even a consideration in the 1972 presidential election. No one thought that would ever happen. So the, the first election after the... Um, Supreme Court decision was 1976, and no, I'm sorry. The first the first election uh, after the Supreme Court decision was um, okay. I, I got my time frame wrong here, um, but after the Supreme Court decision, um, Watergate was going on at that time. Uh, and, and the president, Richard Nixon, was actually forced to resign from office. And we won't go into all of that detail. But in 1976, which is the first presidential election, um, the the uh, 
the abortion issue was not a major issue uh, in in that uh, campaign, um, and it uh, because of everything that had gone on with with Richard Nixon um, and the Republican. Uh, president, um, a Democrat got elected. His name was Jimmy Carter. And uh, he got elected president and was generally a pro-abortion president, although um, his his uh, most of his time in, in office was spent fighting um, fuel crises, which gas shortages across the nation. People are being unable to buy ca- gas on odd and even days on which you could buy gas. And then the, the whole crisis with the hostages in Iran. Um, and so when the 1980 election came, uh, th- those were the main topics, and, and the United States elected uh, Ronald Reagan as president. And Ronald Reagan turned out to be pro-life. Um, before our present president, he, he was generally described as the most pro-life president um, in, 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 of the United States. Uh, he did a lot of things to try to, to uh, undo the Supreme Court decision. He actually wrote a book, which is the only book written and published by a sitting president, and it was called Abortion and the Conscience of a Nation. And then he left office in 1988. George Bush, who was his vice president, left office, uh, I mean, was elected to succeed him. And so that brought us to the 1992 elections, and there was a major battle between George Bush, who had maintained the pro-life position of President Reagan, and Bill Clinton, who was pro-abortion, and his wife, of course, Hillary Clinton, who was pro-abortion. And there got to be a large battle and very much um, concentrated within the pro-life movement as to electing uh, George Bush, re-electing George Bush as president, as opposed to allowing Bill Clinton to get elected. It was very, very emotional. People were very, very involved in the elections. All kinds of things going on between um, at home, much like they are today, between President Trump and Vice President Biden uh, on who to vote for. And what happened in, in 1992 and 93 that causes me to just quickly discuss this today is that Clinton won and pro-life people around the country got so discouraged that they quit the pro-life movement. It was absolutely devastating in those early days of the Clinton administration to see how many people were so just so upset about the Clinton victory that they gave up. And now here we are in 2020, and we have this major battle going on. And you know that history tends to repeat itself. And it just is very worrisome to to we who were through the 1992 elections to wonder what will happen to the pro-life movement if the unthinkable occurs and Biden wins. Biden and Kamala Harris, huh? Okay, what's going to happen? And we don't know. We don't know what the response will be. We are trying our best, you know, to to remain optimistic. In that regard, we have to pray. It is prayer that will eventually, finally win this battle. And we've been encouraging you here on this radio program for a long time now to pray for this election. 
And we've talked to people who are praying for this election. But part of our concern is we have to understand how to pray. And we want to know how to pray. We as Christians look to how Jesus taught us how to pray. Now, one of the things that Jesus did is he gave us the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Uh, Catholics call the Our Father. Other Christians call the Lord's Prayer. And I won't go through the whole prayer. You all know it. But part of that prayer is the line, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God was teaching us in that prayer that it's not what we want, it's what God's will is. And our prayer is not, God, give us this or give us that. Our prayer is that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In addition to that, there is the example of prayer that Jesus showed us on the night before his crucifixion. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying, and at that time he knew what was going to happen. He knew about the scourgings and about the crown of thorns. He knew about the way of the cross. He knew of his crucifixion and death. He knew all of this was coming. He, he told his apostles that his soul was hurting. And as recorded in the Bible, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to his father... If it be your will, let this cup pass from me, right? I'm not anxious to go through what I know what I have to go through. And if you can, let this pass from me. But then he said, and this is the important part, not my will, but your will be done. And this is the message that we need to take when we're praying for Judge Barrett or when we're praying for the elections. We know what we want. We're, we're pro-lifers. If you're listening to this show, chances are you're pro-lifers. You want the pro-life candidate to be elected president. That's what you want. And so you're going to pray, we know, to get the pro-life candidate elected that's what your prayer to heaven is going to be. But when you pray to heaven to have the pro-life president elected, just as Jesus prayed to have the cup pass from him, we must do the same thing that Jesus did and say, God, please let the pro-life candidate be elected, but not my will, let your will be done. And please understand that we do everything we can to affect the current election. And we must. We can't sit back and say nothing. We, we've got to be out there. Hopefully you're all registered to vote. Uh, registration is closed in just about every state. Right? Hopefully you're all registered. And then you're going to go vote. You're either going to vote by absentee ballot. You're going to vote by mail-in ballot. You're going to vote by uh, in-person advance voting. Or you're going to vote on Election Day, November the 3rd. You've got to vote. And you've got to get your friends out to vote. And then you pray to God that the pro-life candidate wins. But if the pro-abortion candidate wins, understand that that point 
That is God's will. Do not be distraught. Do not give up. We don't always know why God allows certain things to happen. And we certainly hope in this election, and we've, we are fighting our, our hardest in this election, to make sure that, that what we consider to be the right outcome happens. And we should do that. We have to do that. But in the final result, it's not our will, but God's will. And let us all remember that. The day after the election, regardless of who wins, your commitment to the pro-life movement your commitment to saving the lives of every one of the preborn babies created by God should not change. You should be as committed afterwards as before. And I know you, you, you may think that, well, of course, what some of us have witnessed in another election, in a previous century, people losing hope. And losing faith. And we can't do that. And so that's our message as, as we, as we uh, uh, wind down this show here today. Our message is we, we have to understand what's going on. We have to pray for the people in Walnut Creek, California, that they are kept safe. And for the security guards that are there to protect them. We have to pray for Supreme Court nominee. We have to pray for the election. We have to do everything we can to implore God to keep us and all the preborn babies and all the elderly and infirmed who are subject to, to uh, mercy killing or euthanasia. We have to keep them, too, in our minds and in our prayers. It is important that we do that. But we have to remember always, as Jesus taught us. When praying to God the Father, may thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not our will, but your will, God, and we will accept it. I thank you so much for, for listening to our program today. We're going to close our program the, the way we, we always close our program, and that is by asking our Blessed Mother, the mother of God, spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Amen.